Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're starting the new year with a series called All of Life, Following Jesus in All Life's Seasons. Because every aspect of life brings its own unique challenges and questions. For example, how do I find time for God when I've got small children? Or how do I follow Jesus as a single person when the church always seems so concerned with marriage? What does discipleship look like when I'm older? These are just a few of the questions that we're asking, and our prayer is that there would be something for everyone in this series, and that we all will grow to appreciate one another more, no matter what season of life we're in. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, please feel free to reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. All right, I'm going to invite Pastor Tim Purcell to come join me up here. He's our guest speaker today. As you guys know, we're in a series called All of Life. We're looking at how to follow Jesus in all different seasons of life, chapters of life, aspects of life, whatever you want to say it. And uh, I, I texted Tim. I said, Tim, how would you like to come preach on the golden years? And he said, Phil, what are you trying to say here? And I said, Tim, I'm trying to be delicate with this, but I think you're the man for the job. And uh, just so you know, Tim drove here yesterday from Charles City, Iowa, like three hours or so. Pretty impressive. Some of us are like, I'm not sure if I can make it five minutes to the playhouse. Uh, Tim drove a couple hours at least, and so we're really grateful to have him. Tim and I, we go way back. He's no stranger to Table Church. He's been here a handful of times, but I've known Tim since I uh, served in South Dakota, and he was there as well. I guess all that to say we're used to cold weather, aren't we? Yeah, at some point, you'd think we'd wise up. Right. So anyway, I'm really excited to have him here uh, sharing with us, so please just give him a warm welcome, would you? <laughs> Was that a pun? Give him a warm welcome. Good morning, Table Church. How are we doing? You brave souls who ventured out. Uh, yeah, this, it all, it all uh, worked out exactly like he said. He texted me and I didn't know whether to be insulted or complimented because he was not delicate the clear implication is you are old, and uh, so my, my ego is recovered, and here we are. So I'm the assistant superintendent uh, in the Northwest District, and I get to work with a whole bunch of pastors and churches in the states of Iowa and Minnesota, mostly, although uh, it, it goes beyond that as well. I just want to update you on a couple of things, remind you you're part of something bigger. Obviously, you're part of the Church of Jesus Christ, which he is building day by day, but you're also part of this family called Wesleyan, and you are connected with a whole bunch of churches across the northwest part of the United States, and God is doing some cool stuff. We're planting a new church later this year in Mason City, Iowa, brand, brand, brand new church, just like you guys were planted about five years ago. We're excited about that. We now have three sites for immigrant connection, and you guys are the latest site to be approved. Yeah. We're really, really stoked about that. We really believe that that's, that's a key to connecting with Jesus' heart, and it's important to him. Uh, by the way, our first site was started just a year and a half ago in Mankato, Minnesota, and they have already helped 52 immigrants achieve full citizenship and helped them navigate that whole process. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and just one other quick thing. We're really, really excited. In Sioux City, we're developing a Hispanic leader ministry training center. Uh, we've got a, a church there that's about the same age as 
as table church, five years old or so, five or six years old, and they're just bursting at the seams. They're needing to add on to their building. They're just reaching people right and left. And, and as um, we've thought about this, it became apparent to us um, that, that there are lots of options for Hispanic leaders to get, you know, theological training, how to study the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. But there's nowhere to help Hispanic leaders learn how to pastor a church. And, and so we're going to be having leaders from all over North America make their way to Sioux City, Iowa to be trained. That's kind of cool, huh? And so anyway, God's alive and well, uh, in spite of rumors to the contrary. And uh, we're excited to be here with you today. And I really, I'm going to echo what Pastor Phil said. Thanks for being here. It's just, you know, I mean, on a day like today, it's a praise the Lord when your car starts, right? You want to hear a praise? Okay, only God could do this. My hotel room last night was situated where I could start my car from my hotel room window. <laughs> Doesn't that just move you to tears almost? <laughs> okay, sorry. I love, I love this series that you're in, and I was really, really excited when Pastor Phil contacted me because I've been thinking about this subject. And by the way, I'm just going I'm, I'm to say this up front, that what I share today, I'm not trying to come across on as some kind of expert on serving Jesus in the golden years and finishing. I'm, this is my own journey, okay? Fair enough. Um, but I've been thinking about this for 20, 25 years, and I'll explain why uh, in a while. And so when he asked me to talk about, um, about serving Jesus in this, this golden years part of life, um, it gave me a chance to put down on paper some of the things that I've been thinking about, so I, I was excited about it. I, I listened to Pastor Phil's message from last week, and, and you'll see some corollaries, and I'll just tell you this. If you pay attention to what he said last week, you won't need anything I say this week. So let's close in prayer. No, um, but it'll, it'll get you there, and, and I, I think the two messages will be really, really good bookends to this series and uh, anyway, I'm excited about it. So the golden years, I actually looked that up to see where that came from. It was an advertising campaign uh, to get people to move to Arizona. Um, you know, and the idea is, you know, um, it's golden. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's golden. Well, part of it is um, you, you've heard the phrase, uh, you're not getting older, you're getting better. Yeah, that's not true. Uh, well, it is. In some ways, it's definitely not true physically. I will just attest to that. Uh, you know, I heard about a group of, of seniors. They were sitting around, and as seniors are, you know, they tend to do, they were talking about their ailments. You know, they were drinking coffee, and one, one senior said, man, my arm's so weak, I can't hardly lift my coffee cup. And another one said, well, you think that's bad? My cataracts are so bad, I can't hardly see my coffee cup. And the third one said, oh, man, I got this arthritis in my neck. I can't turn my head. And another one said, I'm on this blood pressure medicine. It's got me so dizzy. Every time I stand up, I about pass out. And they sat there a minute, and the optimist among them said, well, could be worse. At least we can all still drive. <laughs> so... Uh, with apologies for that joke, um, we're, uh, in some ways, we're not getting better, but the thing I want to stress today is 
then I believe from the bottom of my heart in the most important ways we can get better. That our walk with Jesus can grow deeper. That, that uh, the impact that we can have in our senior years can be the greatest that we've had in our entire lives. But here's the thing, and here's what I want to stress. Not if we are not strategic and purposeful about it. If, if we are not strategic, we will not grow better. We'll only grow bitter. Um, and, and we'll lose purpose and we'll lose reason for living. But if we're strategic, the golden years, I am convinced, really can be golden. I'm not sure where the golden years begin. You know, I started getting stuff from ARP in the mail when I was 50. I wasn't feeling golden yet then. Uh, a, a great day in my life. I'm 67. I'll be 68 in about two weeks. Two years ago, I qualified for the senior discount at Pizza Ranch. <laughs> it does not get a lot better than that. I'm just telling you. So I'm, I'm right in the midst of the golden years. But I want to tell you, I've been thinking about this for 20, 25 years. And here's why I've been thinking about it. When I was like in my early 40s, maybe... I started noticing that there were, there were senior citizens, there were older people that I just dearly loved to be around. And I would spend time with them every chance I got. I, I, just, I just loved to soak in their wisdom. Uh, they, they were a source of encouragement to me. They blessed me. These were people who had continued to learn and grow and stretch. But then I noticed there were other seniors that I would walk across the street to avoid. And, and they were negative, critical, spoke their minds with no filters whatsoever. You've run into those people, haven't you? And, and they were stuck in the past. And, and so like 25 years ago, I started thinking, boy, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like that. And I started thinking, and I started just watching older people and studying their lives. And, and so I have tried, and again, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not saying I've done this well. But I'm just saying I've tried to be strategic about becoming an old man that people like to be around, especially young people. I, I just, you know, because they, they think that I add value to their lives they think, you know, they, they understand I'm really interested in them. I really care. I, I don't want to be that old guy that everybody avoids. Um, I want to be that old guy that's still learning and growing and, and, and making a difference. I, I want to be that old guy that blocks for young people. That young people know I've got your back in this deal. So anyway, but here's the thing, and I want to say this before we get into this. Um, I've already said it doesn't happen unless you're strategic, unless you make decisions along the way to become a life-giving old person. But I want to say this, and it's important that you understand this, because, because some of you are tempted to think this message isn't for me. My goodness, I'm in my 20s. What do I need to hear a message about growing old? For? Well, i tell you why, because it's going to happen sooner than you know. 
And you do not wait till you're on Medicare to start thinking about what kind of old person you want to be. It's like any other journey. It's like, it's like running a marathon. You don't get up the morning of the race and decide to start training. And so I want to encourage you, regardless of your age, to think through some of these things that we're going to be talking about and decide that I'm going to build those qualities into my life right now so that I can finish well. Okay, we're going to look at an old man in the Bible. His name's Caleb. I don't know if you remember his story. I'll refresh your memory in case you don't. Um, he was an old man who had all the reason in the world to get bitter instead of better, but he didn't. I mean, he, when he was like 40 years old, he was dealt an incredible blow. If you remember, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. And God raised up a man named Moses, and he led them out of Egypt to the promised land, the land of their heritage. They got to the Jordan River on the edge of the promised land. They decided it would be a good idea to send some spies over, and so they picked 12 guys. Joshua and Caleb were two of them. They explored the land. They came back with this incredible report. You can't believe the fruit that's over there. I mean, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. But 10 of the guys said, but there's giants there. The obstacles are too great. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, are you out of your minds? God has led us this far. Of course we can do it. Well, as is often the case, the people believed the majority. And here's what happened in Numbers 14. Starting at verse 21. As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills this whole earth. The I there, by the way, is God speaking. Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but... Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So if you remember the story, God sent the children of Israel um, wandering in the desert uh, for 40 years. And contrary to the story that you women have circulated, it was not because the men refused to ask for directions. They wandered in the wilderness the next 40 years until that whole generation died off, except for Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb got to inherit the promised land. Caleb! was a man with a different spirit. So that thought percolated in my mind. Different spirit. What was it about him? And so I jumped from this passage in, in, in uh, Numbers, and I, I went to Joshua. And there were like six qualities. Six qualities that I saw in, in the life of Caleb that made him a man with a different spirit. 
six qualities that if I can be a little bit corny, I think will help put the gold into the golden years. So let's work our way through it. We'll start in Joshua 14, 6 through 7. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, of course by this time Moses had passed, Joshua was the guy in charge. Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I was 40. This is 45 years later. Here's the first quality. It's patience. Patience. Caleb remembered the promise that God had had made 40 years earlier. He believed God, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. Now listen, this is one of those areas that growing older does not ensure growing better. In fact, the temptation as you grow older, is not to grow more patient. The temptation is to grow impatient and critical and irritable. It's a fascinating thing. Some people, as they grow older, just just grow impatient and demanding. I'll just be real honest with you. My father, who passed away, geez, 17 years ago now already, But toward the end of his life, I didn't want to go out with him to eat. I didn't want to go into a store with him. He was just hard on people. I'd say, Dad, knock it off. But he didn't see it. And and we've been around those old people that are like that. Irritable, impatient. There are other older people, and again, it doesn't happen accidentally, that it seems they grow more patient and more resilient and, quite frankly, more easygoing. And it all has to do, because we all go through trials and struggles, right? I mean, life's hard. It all has to do with whether or not, listen, listen, whether or not we believe in the end of the story. Caleb was able to navigate all that stuff. He was able to navigate 40 years in the wilderness because he knew the end of the story. And he trusted the sovereignty of God and he reminded Joshua, you remember what God told us. The end of the story. So I thought of this illustration. Any of you football fans? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Okay. Um, I am, and typically I don't get to watch games, especially Sunday games, because I'm driving home from somewhere. And so if there's a game I'm interested in, I'll record it, and then I'll text all of my sons and friends and say, don't tell me the score. And so I'll watch, do you ever do that? You ever watch a game and like, okay, all right. So, but sometimes, you know, Sometimes I'll see the score of the game 
or one of my kids will text me or whatever. But here's the deal. So if my team won, I'll go ahead and, and, and watch the game. If they didn't win, I won't torture myself. But I was watching a game one day, and I, I noticed I noticed what a different attitude I had watching a game live versus watching a pre-recorded game when I know my team wins. See where I'm going with this? So in a live game, my team fumbles, and I'm losing my mind. In a pre-recorded game where I know my team wins... My team fumbles, and it's no big deal. Because I know the end of the story. So that's the key. Caleb could have just shriveled up from disappointment, could have gotten negative, critical, nasty, because of the foolish decisions of 10 other people. But instead... He latched onto the promise of God. He knew the end of the story. And he knew, listen, listen, he could afford to wait. All right. Wow. I talked way too long there. I mean, we got time, right? I mean, none of you are going for an afternoon walk. Joshua 14, 7 through 8. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. By the way, if you were paying attention, that was one of the things Pastor Phil talked about last week. Convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Courage is the second thing. Key in on that word convictions. Joshua and Caleb had the courage to stand against popular opinion. They refused to be swayed. They had courage. And while the other guys were melting with fear, Joshua and Caleb pushed ahead. Now, please understand that doesn't mean that he didn't feel fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is pushing ahead anyway, see? And what's interesting, one of the marks of, of youth, not all youth, but some youth, um, is, is that, I don't know, it seems like some young people just always have to act like nothing ever bothers them. I've got this. I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. That, that's... That's not courage, that's bravado. And I think part of courage is being self-aware, being honest, but forging ahead anyway. That great theologian, John Wayne, said it like this. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. But one of the temptations, not only become impatient, one of the temptations of growing older is the temptation to start playing it safe, to allow our lives to be fueled by fear more than faith. We start thinking about conserving what we have instead of expanding into new territories. Um, and, and here's the deal. It's, it's, 
It's not, it, it's easier, I shouldn't say it's not hard. It's easier to risk when you're young because you have less to risk. Okay, track with me here. But as you get older, hopefully you gain influence, maybe position, maybe even some financial success. And it's harder to risk when you actually have something to lose. Um, and the temptation is to play it safe. Temptation is to conserve what I have instead of expanding into new territories. I've got a friend who planted a church at age 60. Man, I respect that. He walked away from a stable salary, a growing church, <coughs> excuse me, and planted a church. Now, here's the thing I want to challenge you with because table church is only four or five years old. Um, churches do this. A church like Table Church is planted. You have nothing but a handful of people and a vision. You pray, you seek God, you work your tails off. And, and God actually blesses. And we grow. But the bigger we grow and the older the church gets, change and risk gets harder. Because we actually have people and we have money, might have a building, and pretty soon the temptation is, is to quit innovating because it might place what we have in jeopardy. You tracking with me? Okay. So whether you're a person or a church, there's a progression here. Change is a key to continued growth. And change always involves risk. And risk always requires courage. Okay? Courage. Let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 9. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That's the second time in two verses that phrase followed the Lord wholeheartedly comes up. And so the third thing I see in him is wholehearted commitment. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. As I have grown older, one of the blessings has been I have noticed that the list of things that are important to me has grown shorter. I think I see more clearly what matters and what doesn't. I, I think I'm less distracted these days. Um, and I'm able to commit myself to those things that I think are really, really important, like my walk with God, my marriage, my children, my grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not busy trying to prove myself. I'm not busy trying to be successful. I, I don't have to be involved in everything. 
Um, there was a um, time management expert that was asked to do a presentation to a college business class. I don't know if you've heard this story, but he came in and he had one of those big gallon mason jars, you know, like we make sun tea in. And um, he took about five fist-sized rocks and he put them down in the, in the jar. He asked the class, is this full? And the class, yeah, it looks like it's full. He said, no, it's not. And so he poured gravel in and the gravel worked its way down, uh, <clears throat> you know, between the cracks or the crevices in the rocks. And, and he asked them, okay, is it full now? Well, they were beginning to catch on. He did the same thing with sand, and he did the same thing with water, always able to put a little more in. And he asked the class, what's, what's the lesson I want you to get from this? And some young eager beaver said, if you're creative, you can, and remember, they're talking about time management. He said, if you're creative, you can always squeeze a little more in. And the time management expert said, no, that's not the lesson. The lesson is if you don't put the big rocks in first, you don't get them in at all. Um, I, my wife and I battled infertility for a number of years. And as I look back on that, I honestly think, I honestly think that at that stage of my life, I was how can I word this? I needed to grow up a little bit so that I would take the time to be a decent father. Does that make sense? I was still trying to figure out what's important and what's not. I was still, I was still proving myself, proving that I can be a success. Wholehearted commitment. To understand what's important serves as a priority tiebreaker, okay? All right, let's go on. We've got a couple more here. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. The next quality I see in Caleb is unwavering faith. God had made a promise to Caleb, and Caleb apparently never doubted the end of the story, never doubted that God would keep his word. And by the way, that's the reason he could be patient, and that's the reason he could be courageous, because God's got this. Caleb said, just as the Lord promised. Now, one of the blessings of being older, especially if you've served God for a long time, I accepted Jesus when I was eight, in 10 days, I'll be 68. <laughs> so, one of the blessings is that you can look back and as the old song says, count your blessings, you know? You can look back on all the times that God's been faithful and you face, you face a difficult time and you can look back on that and say, you know what? God did not fail me there or there or there or there, so he's sure not going to do it now. We're going to close with a song in a little bit, an old hymn called Come Thou Fount. And I don't know, I don't know if we're going to sing this verse or not, but there's a verse in Come Thou Fount that says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. You heard that? Raise your hand if you know what an Ebenezer is. All right. 
Wow. These guys are deep, Pastor Phil. Um, if you're not familiar with what it is, it comes from 1 Samuel 7, and the prophet Samuel set up this rock, and Ebenezer means stone of help. And the idea is you look at that, and that's going to be a reminder of God's faithfulness. I have in a file drawer in my office just a file full of stuff that I sometimes refer to as my Ebenezer file. And it's full of all kinds of stuff. Little drawings and cards from my kids when they were little. Uh, Notes from people over the years perhaps thanking me for Something, I don't know. Just little reminders. And once in a while, I'll pull out that file and I'll just flip through it. Wow. God, I'm sorry. It's easy to forget how faithful you've been. It's so easy to forget. Unwavering faith. Two more. Verse 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm still as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So the fifth thing I see in Caleb, and I want to I camp here and talk about this a little bit. I think this is important. But a vigorous spirit. Now, let's be real here. Caleb says, I'm still as strong today. 85. How many of you actually believe he was as strong physically at 85 as he was at 40? Probably not. I think the strength was in his spirit. It was a different kind of strength. It was what was inside of him. I am discovering, as you get older... You don't get less powerful, but if you are willing, you can exert a different kind of power. You can exert the power of influence. Other people pick up on your spirit, your wisdom, your vision, and they run with it. Personal power, to use the words of Gary Smalley, becomes more important than positional power. I, I read a book a few years ago by John Eldridge called Fathered by God. It had a profound impact on me. <clears throat> he talked about six stages of manhood. And I'm assuming there's corollary for women, but, th- but this was written for men. And, and the six stages were boy, cowboy, warrior, lover, king, sage. And he said men go through these stages. Um, of course, when we're boys, we play, we explore have fun, and then cowboy, he called it cowboy because he would go to his uncle's ranch, and anyway, um, during that stage, we, you know, especially us guys, you know, we, we just do stupid stuff, um, you know, we, we just want to test and see how we are, it's the, the adolescent years, and then warrior, you know, it's probably our first job, I get out there in the workforce, I'm going to see what I'm made of, i got to see if I've got the stuff, 
<coughs> and then lover um, is next. And he says, and I think he might be true, that we really don't truly learn what it means to love until we get probably up in our 30s somewhere. Um, and then king, and, and the point is, he said, you, you, you shouldn't be a king until you've learned to love, because if you do, you'll be a lousy king. King is that, you know, uh, I'm probably at the apex of my career, and I get to lead people, et cetera, et cetera. But then that last stage, and here's where, that's where I am, <clears throat> is sage. And it's a different kind of influence. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, at my age, I, I, I got to be the warrior and I got to be the king. And <coughs> Excuse me. Is that God telling me I need to close in prayer and be done? Um, at this stage... It's becoming obvious to me <clears throat> that I'm much more effective by pouring myself into young leaders. That <clears throat> that um, that I can help younger kings be the best kings they can be, younger warriors be the best warriors they can be. I don't have to be the guy anymore. I don't have to be the guy in charge. If you want a good example of this principle, you can look at the life of King Saul and just imagine if he'd have been willing to accept the sage role, if he'd have been willing to pour his life into David instead of opposing David's rise to power, just imagine how differently that story could have turned out. But at this stage of my life, I'm discovering I am much more effective and my influence is much greater by helping younger people be everything they can be. Okay? I don't have to be the king anymore. And in fact, if I try to cling to that too long, it becomes pretty pathetic. It really does. Okay, I wish I had time to talk about that more. One more. Verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out just as he said. Finally, he had a forward-thinking mind. Forward-thinking mind. At, at age 85, he, he wasn't done dreaming. He wasn't done accomplishing he wasn't done conquering. I got to tell you, um, my wife Dawn and I have been have been trying to navigate our next season, whatever that looks like. And all of our kids and grandkids are in the Kansas City area, and it might entail a move down there. We're trying to figure that out. But but I'm I'm a little scared of the retirement mindset. Um, my my goal is is to shift gears a bit in that stage. But I'd love to be able to work for free, you know, to use the freedom of those retirement years to serve. I mean, it'd be nice not to have to work, but to be productive, to have a purpose till the day I die. 
I, I want whatever retirement looks like, it's, it's, it's got to be more than golfing and fishing and whatever other distractions people have. Harvard did a study, and actually people who work longer live longer. Um, I think it's important, too, for older people to keep learning and growing, exposing themselves to new ideas, trying new things. I, I've been studying Spanish for the last three years, every morning. Um, I did a lesson this morning. And, oh, man, I'm pathetic. I, I'm still nowhere near fluent. I think I'm doing okay until I visit one of my Hispanic or one of our Hispanic churches, and it's like slow, slow down, but keep working at it. Reading, listening to podcasts, spending time with young leaders, that's a big one, young leaders who challenge me, push me to look at things differently, helping me focus on looking through the windshield instead of constantly looking at the rearview mirror. Forward thinking. So, in conclusion, let, let's circle back to that idea that as we grow older, we have an opportunity to exhibit the power of influence, the relational power. It has nothing to do with position. That idea that we can encourage and equip younger generations. So, with that idea in mind, I want to leave you with three Beatitudes. First one is this. <clears throat> Blessed are young people who have older people to invest in them. You know, they may not have any idea how to download an app on their smartphone, but they know other stuff. I've had a few of those mentors in my life, especially when I was younger. Wes McIntyre taught me the ins and outs of pastoral ministry when I was trying to figure that out as a young leader. Paul Hybertson taught me courage. He was a tough old army colonel that took me under his wing. Larry Dybert taught me about discipleship what it meant to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Rudy Hauk taught me about love, how to really love. While I was busy trying to be a warrior, Rudy, Rudy taught me about love. Daryl Wagner, faithfulness. Young people, those old war horses know some things and they know where some of the landmines are that they can save you from stepping on. They picked up some wisdom over the years and if you'll ask, but you have to ask, they'll teach you. But secondly, blessed are older people who have young people to challenge them. Man, I love young leaders. They are passionate and they believe that God actually does what he says he'll do and, and they haven't gotten jaded like some of us old timers have and 
They haven't learned to depend on human resource and effort. Stretch my comfort zones, challenge me, and I learn from them. This learning is a two-way street. I learn so much, and, and I'm just telling you this, and, and Phil, I get to spend some time with you. You can hold me accountable on this. I'm, I'm trying to listen more and talk less, to ask more questions. But finally, this is where I want to land. Blessed is the church where the generations know that they need each other. Let's build the church together. Let's change the world together. The world needs all of us. And the changes may not happen as fast as some of you younger ones would like, but our caution and our insistence on asking the hard questions ensures that we make better decisions, even though they might be slower. And the changes may come faster and more radically than some of us older ones would like, and we may find ourselves gasping for air, but it stretches our faith and challenges us to grow. Blessed is the church that knows we need each other. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. Regardless of our age, may God give us a different spirit so that no matter how long our race is, we will finish it well. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, it's been such a privilege for me to be here and to share my heart just a bit. <clears throat> with the people of Table Church. And I, I just continue to rejoice in the work that you're doing here. People coming to know you as Savior and lives being changed and restored and marriages being saved and families being healed. And, and we just really believe that we're just getting a good start here at Table Church. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us courage and, and insight and the resolve to embrace whatever truth we need to embrace from this story. Lord God, all of us desire to run the race you have laid out for us with perseverance and strength to finish well. Lord God, please make us people with a different spirit. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray these things. Amen.